0: How do we trust God through the pain of tragic circumstances? Jennifer Rothschild is our guest this week discussing how God called her to ministry after she lost her eyesight at the age of 15. It's all in Episode 88 of The Church Leaders Podcast.
1: Welcome to The Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now, here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess.
0: Thanks for tuning in to episode 88 of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Andrew Hess, your host, and this week we're talking with Jennifer Rothschild. Jennifer is an American author and speaker who lost her sight at the age of 15 due to a rare form of degenerative eye disease. She's written over 11 books and Bible studies, including the bestsellers, Lessons I Learned in the Dark, Self-Talk, Soul Talk, and Invisible, How You Feel Is Not Who You Are. She's also the founder of womensministry.net, a member-based website that provides resources for women in leadership and equips them to lead well. We talked to Jennifer about our new book on the love of God and how we explore and are changed by the love of God. And now, here's our conversation with Jennifer Rothschild. Well, Jennifer, an honor to have you as our guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. Thanks so much for being with us today.
1: No, oh, are you kidding? I'm so grateful I get to be with you, thank you.
0: Yeah, and as we start, I'm really excited to talk to you about your new book, Uh, and in in the introduction, you talk about something that happened to you when you were 15 years old that changed your life. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, I was uh, 15 years old, and I could see perfectly fine up until that age, but I began to have some difficulties, and they they were subtle at first. Like, my math grades, you know, they just started to fall because I wasn't seeing clearly, the numbers on the chalkboard. I didn't know that, but that's in retrospect what was happening. I was becoming more clumsy. You know, I was bumping into students at my school and falling downstairs. And but it was subtle, so I didn't really recognize. I I just truly thought I was clumsy. Um, but one night I was walking with my mom to visit a friend who lived in an upstairs apartment, and as we were walking up those stairs, I was tripping up the stairs, and so my mom paused and she asked me, um, Jennifer, can you not see the stairs? And my response was just as surprised. Like, what do you mean, mom? You you can see the stairs. I just thought I was clumsy. Well, that's, you know, all it took, Andrew. <laughs> you can imagine for any mom, I was at the eye doctor the next day. And after he did some tests, he referred me to an eye hospital. So about a week later, I learned that I had a disease in both of my eyes called retinitis pigmentosa. And at that point, I was declared legally blind, which is why I could not uh, see off of a chalkboard and walk well and have depth perception. Um, But what the doctors also said is that the, the prognosis of the disease was that my retinas would continue to deteriorate over a nameless amount of years until eventually the Remainder, which meant the entirety of both of my retinas were gone, so the prognosis was total blindness. So here I am, you know, fast forward thirty years. I'm I'm fifty, and the disease did do exactly what the doctors predicted. Things got darker and darker and darker until eventually, you know, I look back now at my life and I've been blind, living in physical darkness longer than I ever lived in physical light. But I think for me. The story that God has written in my life through blindness really has little to do about what I can or cannot see. More, it's been about how God's taught me to really trust Him more than I trust my feelings. I find my hope in Him, not in my circumstances changing. And ultimately, here's how I boil it down. I think in blindness, the greatest lesson I have learned is that god really does make it well with our souls even when it's not well with our circumstances
0: mm, that's so powerful and, and i wanted you to just share that story because for those who, who might not know your ministry you you talk a lot about the love of god about your faith and hope doing so much to inspire so many people in, in that moment when that happened how are you processing the love of god as a 15 year old who who just got this painful diagnosis hmm.
1: Yeah, when I'm sitting in the back seat, feeling my fingertips, wondering if I'm going to read Braille, you know. Mm. Um, I loved art; that was my thing. I was the, you know, the student in school who was always picked to draw the posters, and I wanted to be an artist. Cartooning, especially, was my thing—caricatures—and I knew that was no longer going to be an option. I think that there were so many thoughts and feelings competing for my attention. So I wouldn't have been able to say to you, well, this is exactly how I experienced the love of God on that day when I learned I would be blind. But what I could tell you I experienced, which is a manifestation of the love of God, is a peace that passes understanding. And I believe that God enveloped me in his grace and that he allowed me to experience the truth of his love, even though I couldn't have said to you that's what was happening. And I know that what he did, because the, you know, when, when scripture calls itself light, <laughs> that, that his word is a light to our path, I think on that day, I began to understand so clearly what that really meant, because I remember when I was feeling my fingertips riding home from the eye, eye, eye hospital, the scripture came to me. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, and they are good to prosper you, for not to harm you, to give you a hope, to give you a future. That's the love of God expressed through the Word of God. And I think whenever the Word of God is in our hearts and in our minds, then we're experiencing the love of God in the deepest way.
0: Mm. And that's really what you, you've written in this book, 66 Ways God Loves You. Talk about, um, you've written a lot of books what was it? What's the story behind this book? Why did you want to write this?
1: Well, I've been a Bible teacher teaching women, you know, through Bible studies, and, and I love it. But I've also written um, many books. And something happens in my heart when I begin to write a Bible study. It's just where my heart is, because I love the Word. The Word has given me life. I mean, Psalm one nineteen ninety two 92 says that if it were not for your law, for your instruction, I would have perished in my affliction. (laughs) And it's true. It's God's Word that's given me life. And so uh, the more I go around and speak and teach, I'm realizing that what I take for granted is that women understand Scripture or know what's in the Bible. And I'm realizing maybe women are not as biblically literate as the church in general, maybe is not as biblically literate as I assumed. And so why I wrote 66 Ways God Loves You was kind of a dual purpose. One, I wanted to unintimidate the Bible for people who may not feel as confident with what's in there. And so I go through every book of the Bible, and in a devotional way, I explain what the book is about and how that points directly to you from God's heart to you, how it expresses the love of God. You know, so like in Genesis. God fashions you with his hands. He spoke the worlds into being, but when it came time for him to create a human being, he used his hands. That's an expression of the love of God. In Exodus, God delivers me from slavery. In Leviticus, he gives me access to himself. In Numbers, he builds cities of refuge to protect me. So you get the idea. It gives a person an idea of what every book of the Bible is about and how that book can communicate God's love. So it unintimidates scripture for people, and I hope then it will lead them to open their Bible and read more, but it also ministers the truth of the word of God to a broken heart. And that is so important to me because true ministry only happens because of the word and through the word. And so through the words, which represent the word in 66 ways, God loves you. I want people to feel that love of God that's right there with them and mend their broken hearts.
0: I love that, because I do think there's a lot of, a lot of us would say we have books of the Bible that we love, that, that are probably more accessible to us, we understand them mm-hmm. easier, but then there's also those books that, you know, we just don't, it's like, like Leviticus you mentioned, where people just yeah. probably don't go read Leviticus for fun very much. Um,
1: <laughs> no, but no.
0: talk about, I love that kind of watching for God's love in these books, and, and how do, like if somebody in our audience is thinking about a book that they're like, man, I don't see the love of God there you know, what are some of those books that, and how, how do you watch for the love of God in a place that maybe you wouldn't expect to find it?
1: Well, yeah, because there's a lot, especially in the Old Testament, that we could say is harsh, you know, or God's mad, or how does that express God's love? I mean, you look at the book of Judges, um, God expresses his love to us in the book of Judges by being faithful to us despite our repeated failures. Uh, look at the book of Hosea. God expresses his love to us there by redeeming us, by buying us back when we've wandered away. I mean, God's love shows up in all of these, all of the books of the Bible, but when you think of some of the more difficult books, like the Minor Prophets that, you know, maybe some people don't want to pick up Ezekiel and read that, but that's where we see that God gives life to our dry bones, the things we think that are hopeless, God can breathe life back into. But I I think sometimes we misunderstand Um, how God expresses his love. So if it doesn't look like it would fit on a Hallmark card or feel real warm and fuzzy, we think, well, that's not the love of God. But God's love is so complete and holy that he expresses it sometimes in ways that um, may feel harsh to us because he sets boundaries, you know? I mean, I think any of us who have kids understand that. Like I could put a fence in my front yard and say to my boys, you can play out here in the front yard. You can run and you can jump and you can have as much fun as you want. And they can also go past the fence and run and jump and play in the road, and that would be dangerous. So sometimes God's love is expressed through those boundaries that that are there to protect our hearts, not to prevent our happiness. And, And so I think if we're looking at every page, every word of Scripture through the lens of love, then we're able to see how God expresses His love.
0: I love that. Talk about... How having this understanding of the love of God transforms our hearts?
1: Well, I think that um, God's love, which is unfailing, unconditional, is really counterintuitive to us. Because I think there's something about us as human beings that makes us want to earn love, makes us want to do something so we feel worthy, makes us want to perform in a certain way so that we can deserve God's attention And I think as you read Scripture and you begin to really hear the heartbeat of God and that His compassion, His love for us never fails, it's new every morning, then suddenly it transforms our need to perform, and instead it refocuses us on God's provision because God so loved us that He gave His only son. And so when we begin to focus on God's provision, what He's already done on our behalf, we stop performing to get His love, and then His love begins to change us. I know for me, in a very practical way, Andrew, I can be super hard on myself. And so even a couple of days ago, I did something. I said something to my husband that I shouldn't have. I mean, we've been married 30 years, and and I still blow it. And so whatever it was, I said, I just, I walked away, and I had this self-condemnation. And I'm telling the Lord, I'm such a, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that again. And Scripture came to my mind in Proverbs 24. Though a righteous man or woman who doesn't even feel righteous at the moment may fall seven times, he will rise again. And so that, to me, was another experience of the love of God, the humbling love of God that says, yes, you blew it, but I've made you righteous through Christ, and I love you, and even if you can't rise again, my love is going to pick you up and help you walk the next step and get on a better path.
0: I I like that kind of idea of running to the love of God and feeling that, because I think those are the moments where we most need to feel the love of God is when we've disappointed Him. Um, A lot of times we, we feel like when we've disappointed Him that His love has changed.
1: Yeah, and I think it's because we view God's love through our sense of what love is. And I can't use a better word than counterintuitive, Andrew, because it just doesn't feel right to us. And I have learned as I've studied Scripture that God loves us because He is love, not because we deserve it, earn it. And because we can't deserve it or earn it, we also cannot lose it. But God, because His essence is love, He can't help but love. And so when I say, I'm not worthy of God's love, I've blown it too many times, or I've disappointed, I'm not worthy, what we're really saying is, He's not worthy of my trust to believe that who He says He is, is who He really says He is. And He says He has loved us with an everlasting love, and because He is love, I'm going to receive the love of God, even if it means by faith, having nothing to do with my feelings.
0: Hmm. Yeah, let's get practical here for a second. Um, you are a busy person. Um, you know, you're a wife and a mother, but you're also an author. You're doing a lot of writing and Bible teaching as well. You know, when you're constantly on the go, how do you find time to spend time in the Word and spend time you know, thinking about the love of God?
1: Well, you know, I love that um, we're speaking right now to the family of church leaders because I think sometimes for, for those of us who are in spiritual leadership— even when we read scripture, sometimes we're reading it with an eye to teach it so I can tell somebody else. And so one of the disciplines the Lord has taught me is as I devotionally just listen to scripture, because obviously I can't see to read it, that I need to just be me and the Lord, not thinking of anyone that I'm going to teach this to or talk about it with. And that, that's been a discipline, but that's helped me Um, experience the love of God because it becomes less about a task and more about an experience. But in a very busy world that we all have, thankfully, I think today our technology can help us so much in this area. I know it helps me. My iPhone has an accessibility feature, so it can talk to me. And so I have downloaded several Bible apps And I am constantly listening to scripture. And so when there's an idle moment, when I'm washing dishes, when I'm getting ready in the morning, I will turn on my Bible app and have it read scripture to me. And that helps me to constantly fill my mind with the things of God. I think when somebody's driving down the street, you know, they can listen to scripture. The thing I tell ladies too, is we put so much pressure on ourselves that this is what it looks like when we go read the Bible. It has to be at 5 a.m. until 7 a.m., and we have to begin with a steaming cup of coffee, and we have to sit in our favorite chair, and we have to have our journal. and we, You know what? I think God wants our hearts, not our activity. And so even if it's one verse a day that we can read in the morning, that we can meditate on all day, that we can ask God to show himself true and worthy in that verse— That's what God wants from us. He wants our devotion, not our duty. And so, when that devotion shows up, sometimes in a two-hour quiet time, awesome. But sometimes that devotion is just going to show up in listening to the Word as you're washing the dishes or as you're driving to work.
0: I love that. I love. I love kind of taking back some of those mundane moments where it might be a moment where you feel like, oh, you know, I'm busy. I can't do anything. But but I, I love that because I think those are the habits and the rhythms that will transform your life over time.
1: Yeah, they really will. And when you think about it, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So, even if you're not mentally totally engaging with scripture as you're listening to it, you're still hearing scripture, and I believe it's building your faith and putting you in that right context of who you are and who God is, and yeah, that's an incredible habit to develop.
0: As you minister to to people, are there some misconceptions about God's love that that you're kind of constantly working to teach against?
1: Yeah, yeah there's, there's a couple of them. One is um, with my friends who don't yet know Jesus. There's this concept of God is love. God loves me no matter what I do. God loves me. And you know, they're right. <laughs> but the misconception that comes with that is an unwillingness then to go toward God and acknowledge His holiness along with His love. And so I think sometimes in a a secular mentality, we just celebrate that God loves everybody, and we sing Kumbaya, and and then die and are separated from him forever, because we've never acknowledged his holiness and his worthiness and our sin. So I think that's one misconception that can come from the love of God. They get it correct, but they apply it incorrectly. And then sometimes in the church, when we know Jesus, I think because we love him and we want to serve him, And the people that are talking with us right now and listening right now are the ones who are serving in full time. We want to. And sometimes we can just ease very slowly into a performance mentality, not meaning to. And in doing so, there's this thing that seeps in that says God's going to love me more if I do this better. He's going to like me more if I can put an extra hour in on this. And, And I think sometimes we shift from just the delight that comes from being loved by God and the grace that we experience there to a mentality where we feel like we have to maintain God's love by the things that we do.
0: Mm, yeah, and I, I, that's so common where we have to earn it. And, mm-hmm. you know, if we fail, then somehow God, God loves us less. I think that's, that's, yeah. that's so important. Um, I love that you teach people to read the entirety of the Scriptures, to be in every book, uh, is there a book or two that is kind of your favorite place to go um, when you're, you know, when you're longing to meditate on God's love? Is there a favorite place to go?
1: Well, I think for me, when I really want to hone in on God's love, my my favorite book is the Book of Hosea, and I think it's because of the beautiful story of this prophet Hosea, who marries this very who we would call unworthy woman because she's described as a promiscuous woman. He marries her. Her whole identity changes. She becomes this beloved bride. And then instead of acting according to her true new identity, she wanders off and um, she goes for what she calls other lovers. And eventually they get tired of her and she finds herself being sold into slavery. And at that worst moment of her life, I just imagine Gomer standing on the platform there at a slave auction, dirty, unloved. Feeling like she is beyond anyone ever looking toward her again and loving her. I, I just can imagine then when the auction begins, she hears Hosea's voice buying her back because scripture says that he went and redeemed her. He bought her back and restored her to her true identity. I mean, that's our story. And that's a beautiful love story. And one of the things that you read in the book of Hosea that is so marvelous to me is when the book opens, God says to Hosea, go and take a wife of promiscuity or harlotry, different versions call it different things, but go take a wife. And then in chapter three, when she's blown it and she's standing there in the slave auction, That's when God says to Hosea, now go again and love a woman who has been unfaithful. In other words, at the moment when she's blown at the worst and least expects that she should get his love, that's when the love shows up the strongest. And that's our story. No matter what we've done, God will always love us and he always redeems us. Every day he redeems us back. Obviously, he did it through the precious blood of Christ. But I think when we've blown it, he still shows up when we're shackled up. And he buys us back and he says, let's let's rise again. Let's do this one more time.
0: Yeah, I think that's so powerful to Beautiful. think about that. Because I do think that a lot of times, you know, I remember probably the first time I read the book of Hosea or even understood it. Um, it just strikes you as, that's crazy. Why would God tell him to do that? And we, <laughs> we kind of interact at this human level of, why would God tell somebody to do that? Like, that's a terrible decision. Like, I thought that was, that yeah. th- seems unwise. And yet, when you, l- when you see God's sh- really showing us his heart, it just, it's just so powerful.
1: Yeah, humbling.
0: It is very humbling. As readers uh, read your works, and especially this, this new one of God's love, what is something that you're hoping, you know, as somebody reads this book, that, that they're going to come away with?
1: Well, my hope when uh, someone reads 66 Ways God Loves You, is that by the time they have gone through all 66 books and they finish reading the passage on Revelation, that they close the book and have fully in every cell of their body recognized the truth that God loves them, the truth that they are loved, that in him they are accepted, they are complete, they are known, that they really get it, the truth of God's love, because when that happens then we stop trying to get proof that god loves us we stop trying to earn it or we stop trying to go find it in other places the truth really does just like jesus said you know that you will know the truth when you really know that truth it does make you free. It makes you free to fail. It makes you free to trust. It makes you free to be exactly who He has created you to be. So ultimately, I pray that that's what people experience, and I also pray that they have a higher regard and a desire for the Word of God, that they will go to the Bible when they—that that will be their first go-to every day.
0: I love it. Jennifer, thank you so much for sharing with us. Uh, thank you for writing this book. And uh, I think it's going to encourage so many people. And I just encourage you to keep going and keep teaching people about the love of God.
1: Thank you, Andrew. It's been my honor, and I just appreciate it. God bless you, sir.
0: Well, thanks again to Jennifer Rothschild for joining us this week as our special guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, and consider sending this episode to somebody you know who might benefit from listening to it. Also, be sure to download the show notes for this episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast. In those show notes, we always include resources mentioned in the show and links to some of our guest top content on churchleaders.com. As always, if you have ideas for how we can improve the podcast or guests that you'd love to hear us talk to, email us at podcast at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week